Coming up on the Mark Divine Show. When you're feeling really bad, when you're in a deep, deep valley, just figure out a way to take one step forward because it will eventually get easier, right? You will learn, you will learn, you will adapt, you know, you'll gain extra muscle memory, whatever it is, just figure out a way to, even if you need to slow down and crawl, just take one step forward. Eventually it's going to get easier. It's a wonderful lesson to learn and, and something to bring to your quest to open up avenues to your audience, to continue to grow your business, to learn what you can do for others. I mean, it's, it's a great thought process for you know, your whole self. Hey, this is Mark Devine, and this is The Mark Devine Show. Thanks for joining me today. Super stoked to have you. On this show, I explore what it means to be fearless through the lens of the world's most inspirational, compassionate, and resilient leaders. Speak to folks from all walks of life every week, martial arts grandmasters, meditation monks, blockchain wizards, and efficiency experts like my guest today, Nick Sonnenberg. Super stoked to have Nick. We're going to learn how teams can leverage systems and tools to stop drowning in work. Nick is an entrepreneur, speaker, ink columnist, author of Come Up For Air, how teams can leverage systems and tools to stop drowning. Nick is the founder and CEO of Leverage, a leading operational efficiency consultancy. Helps folks implement his business efficiency framework, which is the culmination of his unique perspective on the value of time, efficiency, and automation. Stems in part from his eight years he spent as a high-frequency quant trader on Wall Street. His framework consistently results in greater output, less stress, happier employees, the potential to gain an extra full day a week in productivity per person just by using the right tools in the right way. Nick, thanks for joining me today. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me. I would like to get a little bit into the weeds on your experience of high-frequency trading. Like, I, I don't have any experience there, and I think it's fascinating. And I've heard a little bit about that quant world, but what is it like? I mean, you said it's very hard work. and uh, you know. <laughs> It was a lot of work to kind of ramp up and really become an expert at that space, right? Because you have to understand the math, the computer science. You have to understand how the markets work. You know, in that space, like I'm not researching companies to know what the earnings report of company ABC is going to be. I'm literally know nothing about these companies. I'm, you know, managing billions of dollars off the balance sheet of, of a large investment bank where I'm in the internal hedge fund. And, you know, they've basically given us open mandate, do whatever, you know, you have risk limits and, you know, some expectations. But other than that, it's figure out a way to make money, use some math. Now, were you just competing against math or were you competing against others who are trying to trade the same stocks really fast? Or what's your competition? Well, nowadays, like over 90% of all trades happening on a stock exchange is bots and algorithms, right? I was doing this 2007 to end of 14. So, um, and I was doing it in Asia for the first period of my career. So back then, it wasn't as popular, at least in Asia, right? So the percentage of people I'm trading against were probably more retail. But yeah, so you basically in high frequency trading, I'm developing algorithms, creating math formulas, coding computers to automatically trade stocks based off of you know the algorithms that I built. And I'm trying to capture fractions of a penny, but I would trade billions and billions of dollars. And we're looking at you know micro and nanosecond speeds. So we're having conversations about, should we invest X million dollars to have a microwave line from New York to Chicago instead of you know, fiber optic or some of the other different ways that you can send orders. And, you know, sometimes you're talking about millions of dollars to save microseconds. So that was fun. I did that for about eight years, had a successful career, 
made more money in my mid-20s than I ever thought I would. But then ultimately, I got into startups because I had an idea for a startup and didn't want to have any regrets. So by 30, I retired from high-frequency trading, got into the startup world, totally underestimated how difficult it would be to run a team in a company. Right, right. Before we dig into this, um, Nick, what did you learn as a quant trader about life and about leadership? So about leadership, ultimately, I decided to leave a large part because I didn't jive well with my team in the US. They, it was a French bank. They were speaking French most of the day on the desk. There were some people, there's a lot of ego involved. And so it wasn't as collaborative. And ultimately, I think it, it impacted our performance. And I didn't believe in the direction that my boss was taking the team. Fast forward a few years after I left, the team dissolved because it wasn't working. Not to say, oh, I told you so, I was so right. But I didn't see a kind of a long-term play there where I saw a successful path for them. Um, versus in Asia, when I was doing it, there was a lot more cohesion on, um, on a team level. So The whole culture is a we culture, right? So I could see how they're doing it for the team and the mission. Less, less individuality. There's a lot that goes into it. To do high-frequency trading, you need to need to have good research, good models, good systems, good algorithms, you know, and you want to share learnings and research amongst the team in a very collaborative way because, you know, if something's helping me trade the Australian stock market, maybe there's some learning there that you can adapt and tweak that would be helpful to you in Korea or Europe or somewhere, you know, so... So ultimately, the team aspect was a huge factor with why I decided to, to step away. I have a question. Is AI re replacing humans? In trading? Yeah, in trading. Yeah, I mean, everything that I was doing was using machine learning and advanced math, right? So yeah, I think, I think we're already there with that. God, that's kind of terrifying. And you think about, you know, an AI that develops, you know, like a master algorithm that's actually like radically successful starts to become you know, a billionaire and then a trillionaire. I know it's not the, you know, there's the owner of the AI, but is there, is there a way for, for like a breakout AI to corner a market? <laughs> you have like AI against AI, you know, like right. the, yeah. the beauty of bots is they're never going to complain, get sick or ask for a raise. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But other things though, that I did learn is two things I think would be helpful to listeners. One, I look at risk in a unique way. Most people are just thinking about, you know, how do you make money or, hey, if I put in a dollar, I'll make two, but they're not thinking about all the different levels of risk. And in high frequency trading or any trading, you know, it's not just about reward, but it's reward relative to risk. We call it a sharp ratio. You know, if you went to Vegas and won $100 million, but because you bet it all on black and you got lucky, doesn't necessarily mean that you're super smart. You got lucky, right? And if you play that game 100 times, your P&L is going to look like a jagged line. Versus, you know, I would much rather make $10 million, but every day, you know, you're making like 30 grand consistently. Um, so, you know, it's just like a straight line. So, you know, it's all about reward relative to risk. And I think even in business and your team, you know, people are, un are not thinking about blind spots. You know, if all your payments are coming in through one payment processor, what happens if that one shuts you off? If all of your leads coming from Facebook ads, what happens if Facebook changes their algorithm? If only one person knows how to do payroll and that person quits, what are you going to do if it's not documented? So I think that the, my background in high frequency trained me to look at risk in a unique lens, you know, in, in, in certain ways helped 
me to develop my framework and content that now I'm focused on. And I would also say in that space, literally microseconds can, can mean millions. So I also celebrate the small wins. A lot of people are just trying to you know, make some massive, how do I save 10 hours a week in one shot versus I might say, look, I'll show you a way to save two seconds by like some shortcut. But that two seconds, if you do it 60 times a day, that's two minutes a day, that's 10 minutes a week, that's 40 minutes a month, right? At the end of the year, you're talking five to 10 hours a year. And like, if you have a team of 10, you know, it starts adding up in meaningful ways. And, you know, maybe I can find you a thousand two second wins like that, right? And so looking at things from a microscope like that also gives you a unique vantage point to see things. That's cool. So you pivoted to entrepreneurship. I know that um, certainly had its challenges in terms of leadership capacity and, and trying to work together as a team to get, you know, a common vision mission done there. Let's talk about that. And then I really want to get into your book and um, operational efficiency for, for the listeners. Like, how can we really bring some of this stuff to, to life for them? Sure. What was that like to go from being a quant trader where your environment was fairly certain to being a complete VUCA shitstorm, starting a business yeah. and having to pivot constantly? Because I've been there several times and, and as and it was tough, anyone was thinking about being an entrepreneur, it's, it's a tough journey. Yeah. It was tough. So Originally, my company Leverage was a freelancer marketplace. So I've always been obsessed about productivity and saving time. So I've, you know, and I think I probably developed this from a younger age, but even like as a high frequency trader, it just really reinstilled the value of time because a microsecond could mean millions. And so in the early days, we were doing tasks and projects for people. We were a freelancer marketplace. We scaled very quickly to seven figures in the first year, 150 people remote. We made a ton of mistakes, though, along the way. And we had, you know, three quarters of a million dollars of debt, half a million dollars of losses each year. And we had an org chart where it was just the two of us with 150 people underneath us, which, you know, isn't probably the optimal way of having some type of hierarchy. And so he was in charge of people and I was in charge of not people. That was how we split <laughs> it up. So I love it. Literally out of 150 people, maybe five knew who I was. And then we had about 500 clients. None of them knew who I was. And so we had all this superficial success. People really thought that we had our stuff together. And then one day we're working at a coffee shop and he taps me on the shoulder and he tells me he's out. Not in two weeks, not in two days. He's out in two minutes. And so I go white. I'm sweating. I'm thinking this can't be real. And um, in the three months after that, we lose 40% of our revenue. I'm cashing out my 401k. My dad's taking a second mortgage on his house to, make, to loan us money for payroll. Bank accounts are getting frozen. I mean, it was a complete clown circus. And I had to make a choice. Do I bankrupt the company, which everyone suggested, or do I try to turn it around? And one, I didn't think it was ethical to screw people out of their credits that they had purchased. We owed about three quarters of a million dollars. And then two... I did see a path to turning things around. And so I decided to stick it out. It was really painful. And I did start making things more efficient and simplifying the business and making things more streamlined. And it seemed to work. And the stuff that was working for me, uh, simultaneously, people started reaching out to me, asking me to help them with their operations. And you know, I worked with Tony Robbins. I worked with Coopery. I got to work with small two-person gas and water leak detection companies. And all the stuff that was helping leverage really renavigate the ship was equally helpful for a two-person 
gas and water leak detection company or like literally a Fortune 10 tech company. And so ultimately, over time, I started realizing like, hey, this stuff is super impactful. There's all these tools available now. There's Slack, there's Asana, there's Microsoft Teams. It's not just text and Gmail anymore. And people just had no education around how to use these tools, when to use these tools. And it can completely transform the productivity of your organization and team if you take advantage of them. And so, and you know, it's not their fault. These tools are like less than 10 years old. So work has changed. And it's kind of like what's going on is people are still using a typewriter, basically, when you could get a new M2 chip in a MacBook Pro, and you're trying to get stuff done on a typewriter. It's just suboptimal. So we just started seeing tremendous results. We're saving like a full business day a week per employee in these companies by teaching them best practices, not just how to use the tools, but when to use these tools, um, what problems do these tools solve. You know, in this scenario, you should use this, right? And I'm guessing, you know, in Navy, I'm sure in SEAL training, you know, it's like if this happens, right. you probably want to use a gun. If this happens, you want to <laughs> use something else. So it's right. the same thing. It's just like, in a way, that's, that's an el- it's just an algorithm, right? If then, if this, then that, right? So that's, and that's what my book is. It's basically an algorithm for how, how you should work effectively. And I'm not telling people you must use Slack, you must use Asana. I wanted to create a timeless book that's going to be the go-to manual for how to run a high-performing team. And I'm not saying you need this tool or this tool. It's more theoretical. Like these are the types of tools you need. This is when and how you use them to maximize not just your productivity, but the productivity of the team. And you know, my goal with this book is how can I save millions of hours of completely wasted time that people are suffering through right now? Stuff that doesn't give them joy, doesn't tap into their unique ability. Right now, when I look at teams, they're suffering on this issue of a scavenger hunt where things are just fragmented all over the place. You know, did Mark text me? Was that in a group text? Was that in an email? Was that in a Slack DM or a Slack channel? And everyone's got their own idea of what, where to put something. And usually it's whatever was quickest in the moment for that person. And so you got all these people optimizing for them as an individual. And in math, it's like we call this a local optimization versus a global optimization. And so how do you get your team thinking in terms of global optimization, which means, hey, you might have to sacrifice 30 seconds or 10 seconds and put things in a well-structured place that's easy to find so that your colleague doesn't have to go on a scavenger hunt and spend an hour looking for it. You know? And when everyone makes that mutual agreement, that's really where we see exponential time savings. And so the underlying pr- uh, principle of what we do at Leverage when we you know, work with companies or my book, it's shifting the mindset of optimizing for transferring information fast to optimizing for retrieving information fast, which means you take pause and you put things in the right drawer where it belongs. So, you know, when you do your laundry, the fastest way to be done is you take it out of the dryer and you stick it in one drawer. Most people don't do that. You take the time to separate your socks in one drawer, your underwear in another drawer, not because it's the fastest way to be done with laundry, but tomorrow when you have to put an outfit together, you can retrieve what you need to and it's faster. And it's the same in business. You've got different drawers. Align with your team on what type of thing goes into what type of drawer. And that's where we see not just a business day back a week and more time to spend on high-level stuff, but an increase in culture as a byproduct of an increase in trust. I see often people don't trust each other, not because they don't think that they're ethical or that they'll steal, but because they don't trust that if you ask someone to do something, they have a system to monitor, track, 
and be held accountable to those things and think, you know, they don't trust that it's going to actually get done. Right. So then that causes stress and, you know, constant chasing and texting and work's already hard enough. You don't need to make it any harder. Yeah, totally. What's the CPR framework? So let's talk about the framework for, you know, how to think about this stuff. And then I'd love to really dig into some of the, the you know, most impactful tools or processes, you know, for efficiency. CPR is what I found. It didn't matter if you're, it doesn't matter if you're a coach, financial advisor, or a poop spray company. The three drawers that every business and every team needs is CPNR. Stands for communicate. So every team in the world, you need to communicate internally with your team, externally with clients. You know, communication is like the oxygen of your business. If you can't communicate with people, I guess kind of, I'm guess I was never in the military, but I, I mean, I would imagine that a key strategy in war is how do you cut off the enemy's communication systems? It's going to make it hard for them to fight, right? So same thing. If you're not communicating as a team properly, it's everything slows down. So there's different tools in the communication bucket, and it's important to be aware of what, is, what should go into a communication tool versus into a planning tool, which is the P, right? If you were to go camping in the forest with your team, you would need walkie-talkies to communicate with each other, but you would also need a map to navigate out of the forest. Most people are using text and email, which are the walkie-talkies. They're, used, they're trying to hack it to be a map. So for example, if I were to say, hey, Mark, can we edit this podcast by Friday, right? You know, and we're on the same team. That shouldn't, be a communi- that shouldn't be done in text, Slack, Microsoft Teams, email. That is a task that I need to hold someone accountable to. I need to be able to click a button and know what are all the things that I had requested to get done? Did they get done? What's past due? What's the status of this thing? You can hack it in a communication tool, but if you want to hold someone accountable to something, that should be done in a work management tool, which is the P. Communication really should be things like, hey, welcome Nick to the team. Or, hey, does anyone have any idea what time we're meeting at this time? Like Those are communication things. But you know, we're trying to roll out a, a new website for my book. That would, that would be so inefficient if we were just texting and emailing about that. You know, that's a project. We need milestones. We need tasks. Different people should be responsible for different parts of that. There should be different due dates on some of those things. So in one place, we should be able to just see kind of the state of affairs, what's going on, and we should be able to collaborate effectively. And so there's, it's important to understand what's communication versus what's planning. And then the R is resources. So every company, you have intellectual, you have IP, you have knowledge, you have standard operating procedures, right? So how you onboard a new client, how you do payroll, what your core values are, All of this is knowledge that needs to be documented somewhere so that one, you don't waste time repeating yourself and people could just go and self-serve. But two, back to my point before about risk, you don't want to be sitting on risk that only one person knows how to do payroll and they decide to leave tomorrow. What are you going to do? You know, so it's, it's not just about moving faster forward. It's about how do you avoid the setbacks? And so documenting knowledge both helps you avoid setbacks, but also it helps you be more efficient because you don't have to repeat yourself. Right. Awesome. So communication planning and resources, starting with communication, like, is there a top tool or uh, process and tool that has led to like the most time saving or most efficiency gain? I would say most people should start, you know, the most popular thing that we're doing at Leverage right now is we do training on how to use email properly, Gmail and Outlook and how to get to inbox zero. Right. By the way, I am an in, I'm an inbox zero person, literally 
not only my inbox, but my trash folder because Gmail is so goony that, <laughs> you know, a lot of important email goes into my trash folder. So I'm, I'm an inbox zero for both my inbox and my trash folder. Isn't that weird? Strange. I thought it was a strange guy. It was good to hear you say that. So. It basically, email is just a to-do list that other people can add to. And just like any to-do list that you want to you know, tick things off, you want to get end the day not with, and we don't care if you have unread or read. For me, it doesn't matter. You have your inbox, which is kind of your to-do list. And then you have strategies. You have an archive, which you can still find in your all mail and you can snooze emails. Um, but not every company listening here, not every team maybe is using Microsoft Teams or Slack or Asana or these tools, but everyone, you are using email. And you're probably able to save three to five hours a week if, if you learn how to use it effectively. And so Inbox Zero is just a methodology to get your email under control, both so you don't waste time, but also so you don't miss opportunities. There's, there's so many people when, I'm, when we're dealing with, with them, they've, they've, they find, oh my God, I can't believe I missed this. This is worth $100,000 to me, this email. you know. So it's a way to get a grip on your email, save time. And it's usually the best starting point. But if you're not using tools like Microsoft Teams or Slack for internal communication, you're missing a big opportunity. You know, if you think about email, one, just separating out email is for external, Slack and Teams is for internal. It's already really helpful because then already... If I'm looking for something that Aiden told me, I know that the most logical tool to look in is Slack. I don't have to look with equal probability in text, email, Slack, Asana. You know, So already just knowing that the highest probability of tool that that information lives is here, you're already simplifying the problem by an order of magnitude. Now, you know, where, where some of these other tools like Slack and Teams starts becoming really uh, interesting is... Email is ordered, the logic is chronological. So the most recent email is at the top. That's it. These other tools, you have advanced functionality that's more optimized for what a team needs. For example, it's organized by topic. So you can create channels. You could have a podcast channel. You could have a channel for a private coaching group. You could have another channel for you know, new hires or all team. And you, know, you can write messages in those channels. You know, If you're looking for you know, where was a conversation about the podcast, go to the podcast channel. It's probably the most logical place, right? So you can organize by topic versus organizing by uh, chronological. And that that's a subtle but distinct difference. Plus it has third-party integrations and other kind of cool features that makes it really productive. That's really interesting. And I can see how those, I love that distinction of, of use email for external comms and uh, Slack for internal. We use both. And we don't have that distinction, though. That just kind of set a light bulb off and think a lot of people. Yeah. Well, the best way to get to inbox zero is email zero. So all the stuff that's going, currently going into email that shouldn't go into email. So anything that really is internal communication, put it in Slack or Teams. Anything that is related to task or projects should go in a work management tool. And so that alone is going to help reduce the amount of email by an order of magnitude. And then we have a system called reply, archive, defer. You know, once you kind of reduce the volume of email because you got it going to the right places and then you follow this RAD system, you can get through email so much quicker, so much less stress and um, miss far less opportunities. Right. 
Have you heard of the hub and spoke concept? You, are you talking about like in a flat organization versus like a hierarchical organization? With the technology stack. So, so the idea is like with Teams or Zoom and even Slack, you can use that as like your primary platform. And then through these apps and these add-ons and these plugins, you know, you basically ah. plug in everything. Like for instance, if you, let's say Zoom, you use a lot of Zoom. Now they've set that up where now you can use that as your hub and then you can plug in, right, uh, Slack to that. And you can plug in yeah, yeah. your email app and you can plug in, you know, uh, some sort of repository like Asana. Yep. And so then you're not switching back and forth between all these apps. You just use that kind of hub app and you do all your work from there. Is that effective or is that just a theoretical concept I learned in my doctorate program? <laughs> Because we've tried to implement it and we still bounce around and it hasn't been very effective for us. So uh, I call it my command center. So it's funny that you're calling it. Uh, okay. So I make Slack my command center. Okay. Good. Now, same idea. What I do, yeah, same idea. Now, look, there's no avoiding CPR, communication planning resources are foundational stuff to your business. So there's no getting around needing to log in to a handful, call it five or so tools, and going in directly to those tools because these are such foundational elements to collaborating efficiently with your team. And so, you know, some people are like, oh man, that's inefficient. I just want to use text and email. And they, they use that like a Swiss army knife, but you know, they're kind of biting off their nose to spite their face because, you know, it's like, what would you rather do to chop down a tree? Use a Swiss army knife or a chainsaw? You know, yes, a chainsaw is a new tool, but going to chop it down faster. So you don't want to have a hundred tools, but you definitely want to have a few core tools for CPNR. Now, how I use Slack for the command center part of this is we have channels like we use HubSpot for a CRM. So I have a notification channel for HubSpot. So anytime like a, a new deal is closed, for example, I get notified in that channel. Anytime a big invoice is paid, we have a, a Stripe integration. So we get notified in a payment channel because it's connected to Stripe. So I use it like a command center. So I don't need to be logging into hundreds of tools all at the same time to get information. I use it more to get information automatically that I'm interested in, right? But I'm not using those integrations to do core workflows, right? So you can get around things and like, you know, use an integration of Slack and Asana and, and do stuff in Asana, but via Slack. I tend to not advise that just because Asana is such a core tool, like if for work management, you might be using another tool, but it's such a core piece of what you do day in, day out. You probably are going to be spending hours a day in that type of tool. So you shouldn't be accessing it via a third-party hacked solution. You should directly go into that tool. So I really recommend this hub and spoke, as you're calling it, more for notification optimization versus actual dealing within those tools. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, we all know that we waste a lot of time on meetings. So what are some, you know, how do we make our meetings more efficient and save time, you know, for group communication yeah. where you have to all get together and collab? Yeah. Well, meetings are one of the biggest costs in companies. I think it was like over $30 billion last year was wasted in inefficient meetings. I read some articles about it. And to optimize meetings, it doesn't really require any new technologies right now. You could just, it's more of a mindset shift. So there's a handful of things you should be thinking about with every meeting. One, does it need to have as many people, right? Every person comes with an hourly rate, right? If you're on a four-person, one-hour call, everyone's hourly rate's $100 an hour, that's a $400 call, right? If you get it down to three, now it just moved, moved it to a $300 call. You know, next, 
does the meeting need to be as long as it is, right? Can you cut it down from an hour to 45 minutes, right? That's still a huge win because even if you keep those same four people, you cut it down by 15 minutes, you just saved $100. It's still backed from 400 to 300. And it's important to understand too that time isn't linear. Not all time is created equal. So a lot of what we're talking about and a lot of what I talk about in the book is a framework and tactics and strategy how to save time, but it's also about optimizing time, right? So like when people think about their hourly rate, they just think every time block on the calendar is $100. So it's like all the same color, $100 at 9 a.m. on a Monday, $100 at 7 o'clock on a Friday. But in reality, they're not all worth the same, right? For me, after a relaxing weekend, 9 a.m. on a Monday, after I've worked out in the morning, had a cup of coffee, meditated, journaled, whatever you want to do, my brain's firing at full horsepower at that point. So that might be $1,000 an hour time slot versus 7 o'clock on a Friday after 100 Zoom calls for the week, and I'm exhausted and I'm in the back of an Uber and I don't have my laptop. My time isn't worth as much. I can't, I can't, my brain's not at the same horsepower. I don't have the same tools with me to get the same amount of stuff done. So maybe it's worth $15 an hour, whatever, right? So think about that. Be aware of where you predict your energy levels to be at and try to optimize your calendar around that. If you can, if you're having hour-long meetings and 15 minutes of that meeting is a report out, someone's just sharing with you numbers from something, you know, do you have an opportunity to have them asynchronously videotape themselves talking about it, sending it to you in advance? And now when you're in the back of the Uber or you're going on a walk, you can watch that video to hear what's on their mind. And now you just freed up 15 minutes at the most valuable time slot on the whole calendar. Doing that one time isn't going to change your, your business. But if you think about that for every single meeting and you think about the number of meetings you have, that can save you millions of dollars. That's pretty cool. So kind of extending this concept of um, being more efficient with how you manage meetings. What about, what, what is your like hack for organizing your day most effectively so that you can, you know, have the brain power to do the deep work you need to do, can get your meetings in, have time for, you know, whatever else you need to do. Like what, what's, I know there's probably different methods and it might be a matter of preference, but is there kind of a best practice that's evolved in your work? I mean, now this starts moving more into the personal productivity space and I could just share with you kind of what I do, but, um, you know, I think, I think there's a few things. One, you want to limit distractions. So with all of these tools we're talking about, most people have the wrong notification settings on. And so if you ever read Cal Newport's book, Deep Work, it's like 17 minutes to get back into a flow state when you're out. So you, you want to minimize distractions and not every time someone has an idea you get a pop-up and now you're out of kind of the deep thought. So look at your notifications. Two, you know, back to meetings. You want to use agendas for meetings because every time someone has an idea, even if you don't have the notification pop-ups, you don't want to just be bombarded with a million messages every day. So your brains for having ideas, not holding ideas. You need to have systems and drawers to put things so that you don't have to walk around stressed out, clenching onto it. And so an agenda is a great strategy where you could tell your team, look, if it's not urgent and it can wait till next week, don't distract me, add it to the agenda, we'll cover it live next week. Things that I do, I try to not have calls on Fridays in general. 
that way, if I have for myself non-time sensitive, urgent things, I can snooze. So back to that RAD system with email, it, re it stands for reply, archive, and defer. I do most of my deferring to Fridays because that's my day with the most flexibility of not having pre-committed times with, on the calendar. So I like to personally try to theme my days. So Friday might be a no-call day, and it's more of like an admin buffer day. Monday is like a team call where it's just back-to-back -back on team. Also, that allows me to optimize my travel schedule. I know that it's pretty disruptive if I fly on a, on a Monday because I'm just back-to-back -back all day. So I'll try to avoid that, and I'll fly on a Sunday. You know? But I know that Friday is a pretty good day to fly because I typically don't have calls. Right? I try to also predict the horsepower of my brain. So I know that I'm more of a morning person. I like to work out in the mornings. So I know that what I could probably get done on a fresh brain from you know, morning till say 11 or 12, I probably can accomplish more during that time period than from like noon to eight o'clock. So I'll try to stack my most important stuff there. I'll try to put a buffer in between calls because oftentimes if you're too overly scheduled, you don't have time to really digest what just happened, take notes, action items, et cetera. And you find that you just invested all this time on calls. But if you don't capture the action items or the proper notes, you might only be getting a fraction of the value of that investment of time that you just put into it. So putting a little bit of a buffer and then using these tools, right? Frankly, they you don't know, like we uh, eat our own dog food with this stuff. And, um, you know, you have to use the tools properly. You make, my team is probably getting the equivalent done of a, of a team three times the size just because we've removed all the, all the friction and hurdles and setbacks that a lot of people waste time on. Right, right. I'll go back to your themes. I think that's such a brilliant idea. And, and I don't know if other people are like this, but I've tried to do that in the past. And then, you know, it becomes OBE, overcome by events. And then I'm back to where, you know, things are just getting slammed in my schedule or whatever. So first off, I'd love to hear what the rest of your theme days are. And secondly, how do you protect that? Another trick that I do, there's, um, I mean, it's, it's tough, right? Because sometimes you have to start saying no to things that are important and you have to swallow a tough pill. So I use HubSpot for, as a CRM, it has built-in scheduling. If you don't have a tool like that, there's tools like Calendly, which are popular to get scheduling links. So what you could do right now is sign up for one of those tools and it syncs with your calendar and then you could start blocking off. You know, I only want to do calls Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, from this time to this time. And you could create different versions. So you could have like a VIP version. Like if it's really important, I'm, I'm available Monday through Friday, eight to eight for really important people or nine to five, whatever you want. But for a regular call, I am only available from you know, noon to five, Tuesday through Thursday. So you could have two or multiple, right? And then each of those views is a unique link. And I talk about this in my book, but then you could buy domains. You could have like chatwithmark.com, for example, and or talktomark.com. And then you could set up domain name forwarding to that scheduling link. So then when you're meeting with people, you don't have to remember, oh, go to calendly.com forward slash you forward slash 317. Right, right. You know right. what I mean? You just make it nice and easy. So that's a little productivity trick. And then for the other one, for the VIP one, you could do vip.chatwithmark.com, for example. 
right? And so based off of the context of your conversation or your text or your email, you could start giving dynamic kind of custom vanity URLs to people. You could also do it with Zoom. You could buy, you know, zoomwithmark.com that points to your personal Zoom link so that it's just a bit quicker. But, you know, back, I digressed for a second, but using... No, this is all async- fascinating to me because where my mind is going is like, you know, I'm not really a tech geek and I, you know, I'm, I got a lot of things going on. And so I never really sit down, even though I think things like this are a really good idea. Like, I'm not the guy to implement it. Is that something you guys do? So my company, Leverage, which, you know, you could go check out getleverage.com. That's what we do. We do training and consulting for teams. Well, what about actually rolling up your sleeves and doing it for them? Like, could I hire you to, to set me up for a productivity suite and train me to, to implement it? Or do I, have to have to, do I have to do the implementation? Well, when you say implementation, like most of it is, is mostly training. Implementation would be, hey, we're, we've got 500 projects on Smartsheets that we need to transfer to Asana and we need to optimize the process. Yeah, we, we can do that. You know, we'll charge a lot of money for that type of stuff. But for the most part, people get a ton of value just out of the training that we do in all these kind of core tools. But yeah, we have, we have services that could help, you know, on the lowest end, the most economical is get the book. The book walks you through all this stuff and you could try to do it yourself. Then we have group, which is like done with you, right? And then we've got like more white glove consulting, which is, you know, done for you for the most part. But you can't really, there's no magic wand with this stuff, Mark. Like you, you know, it's got to be a collaboration because at the end of the day, like we're not going to sit there and click the button on the on you know slack to write a message to someone so and then the team's got to have buy-in right and because if if only yeah you know if one person doesn't use it it kind of the whole system breaks down exactly so you need to be bought in and backing the initiative you don't need to be the first person to you know be setting up the channels or these things but you need to be bought in and you need to be a participant in the process and not just be kind of leading by you know, do as I say, not as I do. Because what you don't want is to introduce a new tool and then half the team's bought in, half isn't. And the ones that are bought in get punished because now they've got to look in not just text or email or Slack, but now they've got to look in another tool and you have to start keeping track of personal preferences. Like, well, I know Mark doesn't like Asana, but he likes Slack, but you know, it's worked hard enough as it is. You can't keep track of personal preferences. So for this to really work, People have to be on the same page with that CPR framework and it's like all or nothing. Except why email is such a great starting point is that is a single user kind of tool. Meaning if you follow the RAD system, reply, archive, defer, and others don't, and you're able to get to inbox zero, you still benefit even if others haven't kind of gotten up to speed with the program versus the other tools, which are more collaboration tools. So you need buy-in from the top. The change management's the hardest piece of this. It's also hard that everyone's drowning in work. So you have to find a little bit of breathing room to give people because if they're already at full capacity, this is a long-term investment where some things take longer than others. But the way I describe it is, you know, if you have a sink that's broken and there's water overflowing onto the floor, like it's quicker probably just to quickly mop it up and then get back to what you're doing. Versus, you know, you spend an hour and you find the hole and you patch the the pipe. But at some point, if every week you're mopping the floor for, you know, even five minutes, after 12 weeks, you're better off, you know, spending the hour to to patch the hole. So, you know, it's a trade-off. There's short-term, quick 
patches versus long-term you know, foundational shifts that permanently fix an issue that take longer. And depending on where you're at as a business, you know, different things are optimal strategies. If you can't make payroll next month, you can't afford to invest in long-term things like you can if you're, you know, just raking in cash. So you have to balance it. But most people are doing 100% short-term, 0% long-term. And I would advise against that. At least if it's, if you're, if you don't want to invest in it, that's fine, but you have to just be intentional. Like I am choosing not to invest in this stuff that will be good long-term because we need to tomorrow figure out how to get 10 grand for something. Right. But people need to be thinking about it and being aware. And, you know, at some point it will be the right time to do things. You don't have to do everything at once. Just do one thing at a time. You don't get benefit if you're trying to roll out 10 things at once suboptimally. So just pick one thing, get it rolled out right, see the benefit, let the benefit catch up, give everyone back some breathing room, and then do the next thing. I love that. Are you agnostic to any kind of a business operating system for smaller companies? You know, like I heard you use the term unique ability, which is, you know, Dan Sullivan's kind of uh, scaling, not scaling, a strategic, strategic coach. Yeah. And then, you know, we've, we've used EOS and kind of scaling up models. And I could see how once you have those in place, then you can move on to kind of like these efficiency tools. But does it matter? Do you have a preference or does it matter what stage the company's in? No, I don't think it matters the stage. And I, I think that they can all be done in parallel. Like we're all tackling different things. I think, you know, whether it's EOS or scaling up, there, are, there there's a lot of similarities there, right? At the end of the day, they give you a framework. You should have long-term goals. You should have short-term goals. You should align your team. You should, you know, make sure that everyone is coordinated. So it gives you kind of a framework or a container. But likewise, like I'm teaching you ways to save time and be efficient. And I'm not, I'm not trying, I guess the difference is I'm about efficiency and those are about effectiveness. And they're both important. So it's two sides to the same coin. Okay. Yeah, I can see how they work together. That's awesome. Nick, thanks so much for your time. I, I can't wait to read the book. The book just came out literally yesterday. And um, on our website, comeupforair.com, we've got a ton of additional resources that we refer to in the book that's just totally free. There's calculators, checklists, PDFs, and that you can go and check out. But this is not a book that's a 10-page blog with repetitive stories around the same concept. This is, this is meaty, dense content that should be read slowly and should be given to your team and should be the employee manual that you never got that if everyone reads and you have every new hire read you will be getting 20 to 40% out of more out of every person very quickly and they'll be much happier in the process too sweet i look forward to it and um super appreciate the work and i appreciate your time today nick it was an awesome interview thanks for having me yeah yeah appreciate it buddy hoo ya Wow, that was a super practical and really interesting conversation with Nick Sonnenberg. Totally love his idea of email inbox zero and using email only for external comms while using Slack for internal and also the difference between using Slack for topic organized conversations versus the chronological email. Fascinating to learn about his CPR process or framework, communicate planning and resource and the different tools, projects, and processes. And I love the conversation about organizing your week into theme days. I'm going to do that myself. Show notes are up at markdevine.com. Video will be up at our YouTube channel. You can reach out to me at Twitter at markdevine. 
and on Instagram at Real Mark Divine, also Facebook. And you can reach out on my LinkedIn channel. So uh, hook me up there if you use LinkedIn. Plug for my newsletter, Divine Inspiration, which comes out every Tuesday, where I bring my latest podcast, show notes, uh, my blog, and other interesting things that are going on as well as the book I'm reading. Go to markdivine.com to sign up and share it with your friends. Shout out to my amazing team, Jason Sanderson and Jeff Haskell and Catherine Divine, who helped produce this podcast and the newsletter and bring incredible guests and information to you every week. Reviews are very helpful. So if you haven't reviewed or rated it, please consider doing so wherever you listen. Again, it really helps other people find it. It helps keep us at the top of the ratings. Thanks so much for being part of the change you want to see in the world. My mission is to make people or help make people stronger in body, mind, and spirit, working as a team. And if you want to learn about how we're doing that at SealFit, then go check out our programs at SealFit, especially our year-long Unbeatable Team Mastermind and Integrated Training Process, as well as our Performance Coaching Challenge, SealFit.com. Till next time, this is your host, Mark Devine, and thank you. We are.